And we're back for week six of the Contender Series breakdowns. I only ever missed the first week, but that's when I actually decided that I might as well jump into it and provide you guys with a little bit more content. So last week, solid week, good successful week, two big underdogs come through for us. Whiffed on the uh, total that I did play, though. I had the under two and a half in the, the first fight of the night, which was Gomez and Amanda. Um, a lot of big shots landed by Gomez. Not many grappling opportunities provided by Amanda, which I, you know, was a little bit puzzled by. But, you know, she was throwing with some big heat, too. She landed some big shots of her own as well. So there were some finishing opportunities. Ultimately, it didn't come to fruition. You know, paid minus 120 on it. So I don't really hate it. But uh, I really got to dial it in in terms of not being so frugal when I'm betting these unders and these violent spots. Uh, but like I said, two other big underdogs coming through for us. Cameron Simon showing up and showing out. Had a bit of a rocky start losing that first round. But then it seemed like near the ending of that first round. And shout out to my guy Magic, who actually, you know, really realized it. I saw it as well, but I didn't end up tweeting it. But he said, like, at the end of the round, you saw Cameron hit him with some big shots, some big lefts. And uh, Josh Kim just started backing up. He didn't really like it. I don't know if he got affected heavily by those shots or if his cardio was just starting to set in and, you know, he he was starting to gas out or something. But in the second and third rounds, very poor performance from Josh. Um, you know, really started to slow down, wasn't throwing as much output as he was. His kicks weren't coming as, you know, viciously or as consistently as, as they were in that first round. And then Cameron eventually deads him in that second round. So shout out to Cameron. Not too green to go out there and beat a guy like Josh Kim. So happy to hit that underdog. And then secondly, in the main event, you giving me plus 20, or sorry, plus uh, 215 on a fight that's likely a toss-up between two big heavyweights. But wait, one guy has knockouts on the LFA scene, even though it was in Brazil. So that should make him a minus, make him a minus uh, you know, 250 favorite in that fight, which made little to no sense to me. Again, I, I love running the tape, doing up my like half my write-up, and then looking at the odds. And then being either surprised or being like, okay, this is where it should be at. But for that one specifically, I was like, these odds are off. These odds are way off. You know, if if Parkin can uh, keep it, or at least his durability can hold up, this is gonna this is gonna be a close fight. And luckily, it was. You know, he was the first one to actually stagger Neves, if I if I remember correctly. But it was ultimately that uh, sloppy rear naked choke that came in. So I'm. Uh, I'm excited, uh, or I was excited to see that end up cashing out. So I think all in all, it was, it was a it was a plus two point nine five night. Um, again, I wish I didn't take that shot on the under two and a half, but that definitely is making it. Um, it's making it a little bit more clear to me that I gotta stay away from these totals. <laughs> Let's quickly see what the chat is saying, and then we'll get into the breakdowns here. Hype MMA in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by. Olajuwon Dream getting his Aussie going. Sensen Singh, Stoke, the timing is going to work out. There you go. Um, Olajuwon Dream saying, keep me rolling through the afternoon. You know I got you, my friend. Problem Kids saying, off work, finally. Let's get it, my brother. I love it. Olajuwon Dream got four more hours. I feel you, my friend. 
I am supposed to be going out for a birthday dinner tonight for my brother. So um, I'm going to be working pretty much up until then. You know, one with this breakdown and two continuing with the UFC Paris breakdowns or at least adding to that for the best bets and props article for the Patreon. Uh, I actually just finished taping Copilaw versus D. Carico uh, before hopping on here. I'll be updating that on the Patreon real soon or as pretty much as soon as I hop off of here. Lajon Dream pointing to the main eventer who's a 6'5", 170 -er. See if that... How I see that going down. Tristan Sherhouse in the chat as well. San Sense Boulevard saying man's gonna look like the slender man. Um Proven Kid saying you could have made a 4,300 to 5,100 odds probably last contender series. And I would have probably, you know, I think it was four out of five underdogs I actually ended up hitting that night. Shout out to Darius Flowers getting that win via slam KO as well. Andy G in the chat, appreciate you stopping by as well, my friend. Uh, Tammy Gutry saying I was able to cash in that main event. Thanks, no worries. Appreciate you enjoying that. Jacksonville Zoe saying I like the proactive work on an early week six breakdown. We'll be listening while working. Love it. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, Jacksonville Zoe, and appreciate you having you being in the chat as well. Again, no fights tomorrow, at least no UFC fights tomorrow, so I might as well push this out early. All right. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into this thing. Uh, first fight of the night. We're going to be talking about a Canadian, Alex Morgan, going up against Blake Builder, who I believe is the CFFC welterweight, or sorry, the uh, featherweight champion right now. And in terms of odds, we actually have chalk on the Canadian, surprisingly. It's not often that you see the Canadian getting some love from the public. Uh, Alex Morgan up at minus 210. The flip side, we got Blake Builder at plus 180. Now, if you guys are following me on Twitter, you guys saw me put out a tweet last night saying, you know, when I saw this guy as an underdog, I was bewildered. I was surprised. And this is the fight that I'm talking about. Now, let me let me set it up a little bit because I know what the, the whole thing is going to be about the Alex Morgan side, right? The guy has some good knockout power. The guy has some good hands. That's about it, right? Like, if you guys go back deep enough, you realize that his uh, takedown defense, not the sketchiest, but can be taken advantage of. You know, people can stifle him on the mat and really just force him, uh, you know, to work off of his back. And he doesn't really have the greatest get-ups. Um, his biggest wins are obviously over TJ Laramie. He's been able to knock him out twice. That seems like one of those Mike Brown and, and Uri favorite things where he just can never get past that. Um and in a way, Blake Builder is kind of built like TJ Laramie, right? Like they're shorter guys for this featherweight class, but they're, you know, thick. They can get their grappling going. They can get takedowns. But TJ Laramie was not able to get any takedowns going in that fight. You know, it didn't even seem like he had the intention of going for takedowns in either one of those fights. And I think he ended up paying the full price there by getting knocked out in both spots. Blake Builder, I think, is going to be a little bit more proactive in terms of going for takedowns. And I think that's going to be the difference maker here. Like, if you go back to even his early days, this guy is a wrestler. This guy wants to get you to the ground, get you into an uncomfortable position, and either club or, you know, uh, ground and pound you or look for a submission opportunity and get you out of there. Now, his last couple fights have been a little bit sketchy as well, right? Like, uh, let me just pull it up here real quick. But he had a come from behind victory. Probably in, I guess you can say in both of his last fights, but more so in his second last fight where he actually ended up capturing the vacant featherweight title from Frank, uh, Frank Buena Fuente. Uh, Frank actually pulled out on short notice, or sorry, pulled 
uh, stepped in on super short notice because Eddie Torres was unfortunately having to to pull out there. But uh, Frank, you know, found himself on top of Builder in round one, uh, was able to control the majority of that round. And then round two, he landed a knockdown against Builder but uh, and controlled the majority of that round. But then Builder was able to throw up a triangle choke and end up submitting him near the ending of that second round. His next fight against Regivaldo uh, Carvalho. Uh, this guy's actually a Glover Teixeira prodigy. But uh, Regivaldo, you know, dropped him a couple times early in that fight. But once that second round got going, Blake Builder was starting to have a success of his own. And then he eventually found his knockout in that third round where he was able to get him out of there. You know, the guy's 32 years old with a 6-0-1 record. So, you know, this must be the best version of him or at least getting close to the best version of him that we're going to see. But him just watching this Alex Morgan tape knows he should go out there and just try to get this fight to the ground ASAP and look for his finishes there. This is one of those spots I'm kind of scared that he might be goaded into having a striking battle considering the whole contender series narrative, right? Like you want to be impressive. You want to have a highlight reel finish of some sort. Um, and he might be goaded into a, a striking battle here against Alex Morgan. I'm really hoping that he doesn't. But considering that the odds are giving me plus 180 right now on the builder side, I don't mind taking a shot there. Because I think that uh, if he can get his grappling game going, he's going to make it a long and tough night for Alex Morgan. You know, Alex Morgan does have a couple good wins on his record, but I'm honestly not the most impressed by what I'm seeing from him. You know, his wins are over... TJ Laramie, who's probably his, you know, biggest win to date. I'll still give him that. The, the Peter Pitas fight, very close fight. Could have gone either way. Uh, I think Alex Morgan probably got some hometown cook in there. Uh, and I unfortunately was not able to see his next two fights, considering that, you know, they're just not available pretty much to the public. Uh, but he did win his last fight via body shot round four against Magad, Magad Hamo, who's like a middling regional guy up here in the... Um, Toronto or sorry Quebec area so I'm not taking too much away from that fight but knowing you know the way that he lost to Joao Luis Nogueira fight back in 2017 I know that was five years ago and it's probably made some improvements since then but big but Blake Builder seems like a guy that has been a legit grappler wrestler for a long time and I feel like that experience alone will allow him to get the win in this spot you know this guy's first amateur MMA fight was way back in 2012. So he's been doing the damn thing for over 10 years. I'm talking about Blake Builder here. And I feel like a lot of that stuff or a lot of those wins come from his grapple heavy approach that he looks to implement in certain fights. This is going to be the fight that I think he implements it in because, you know, standing with Alex Morgan is not going to be a good thing. But I see the public putting a lot of emphasis on Morgan's KO ability, but they're not really putting into much about the rest of his game. And I think that's what Blake Builder is going to be able to expose here. So I'm going to go Builder. Builder will be my dog shot for this card. Not many dogs I do like on this card, but this is definitely one that I'd pull the trigger on. So uh, once it becomes more widely available, I see it's now open on Unibet. I see it's also open on Betway now. But once the you know the DraftKings and the, the FanDuel and all that start to put up those lines, I'm definitely going to pull the trigger on Blake Builder in the spot. And I think he'll be the uh, be a solid underdog play for this card. Uh, I see everybody talking about one, which is tonight, but I won't be breaking down any one fights for you guys. And just for the sake of the audio listeners, I'm going to keep this on topic with just the uh, contender series fight. So if anybody wants to talk contender series, speak about the specific matchup that I'm talking about. Otherwise, I'm going to continue on rambling about the card as I currently am. All right, let's move on 
to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about uh, Victoria Dudakova going up against Maria Silva. In terms of odds, we got chalk on the Maria Silva side at minus 225, plus 190 is the return on Dudakova. Now, I started tape on the Dudakova side, and I was impressed with what I saw. You know, fluid striking, uh, decent jiu-jitsu, um, solid wrestling as well. Like, she seems to have it all. As, as a solid prospect, you know, she's coming in at 5-0. Uh, oh. uh, she's 23 years old. So she's still on the, you know, I guess you can call her on the younger side of things. But just as Cameron Simon showed us last week, they might be young, but they still probably have a lot of, you know, solid um, skill sets that they can exploit and take advantage of over their opponents. Uh, again, yeah, Dudikova, solid all-around fighter. I wouldn't say she's amazing at one thing, but she's really good at a lot of things, and I think that's going to help her out in this spot here against Maria Silva. Unfortunately, Maria Silva seems to be just as good at all of those things as Dudikova is, right? Like, I think that she is probably the better striker, Maria Silva. You know, I think she could be uh, the stronger grappler here, and I think, the, the, like, the key word there is stronger. In women's MMA, we know a lot of the times that strength usually plays a factor into who ends up coming out on top. And Maria Silva has all of the strength in this spot, right? She's very strong. We saw it in her, you know, other contender series uh, appearance that she had back in October of last year uh, when she took on short notice Catherine Paprika, or Paparaki, I should say. I want to say Paprika. <laughs> Usually I put paprika in my eggs when I have my breakfast. But uh, yeah, she did fight Catherine Paparaki, Paparaki, uh, who came in on short notice that night. And even though Maria Silva seemed to dominate that fight by taking it to the ground when she wanted it to, Dana seemed unimpressed considering the fact that she was a, you know, minus 250 favorite, took this fight on, uh, you know, took this opponent on short notice, but didn't go out there and dominate her the way that she, Dana would have liked her to. Luckily, she's getting this call back into the to the contender series. But this might be a tougher matchup for her to look as dominant as Dana wants her to look. So maybe thinking that Dudakova is a solid opposition for her, maybe Dana will be have or will have a little bit more leniency towards her. Uh, so you know, even if this fight plays out a little bit closer she, and she still ends up getting the win, maybe Dana says, "All right, you know what? Get your ass in the UFC. Let's get this going." She's 26 years old, eight and zero. Might as well get her into the spot because it seems like she can beat some of the women on the UFC roster as well. I'm not counting that out at, all, out at all, especially at 115 pounds. Interesting to note that her original opponent, uh, you know, on the last contender series was actually supposed to be Silvano Gomez Juarez. You know, that fight seems like it would have been very easy for her, especially considering the, you know, some of the the grappling uh, deficiencies in Juarez's game. It seems like Mar Maria Silva could have absolutely taken advantage of all of that. But now she's going up against Dudakova. Like I said, both women, similar skill sets, but I think that Silva is ultimately going to be the stronger woman here. And I think that's ultimately what's going to come into play. I, I do think that Dudakova could find some reversals, could find some submission attempts, could find some success of her own uh, fighting off of her back. But I do think that she's going to struggle all in all by uh, dealing with the strength of Maria Silva. So give me Maria Silva. I think she wins this fight by decision. Um, is she worth the chalk? Not 100% sure. I'd likely be passing on it, but from a lottery perspective, from a you know degenerate parlay perspective, I wouldn't mind throwing her in there because I do think she wins this fight. All right. Let's keep moving along here. Next up, we're going to be talking about... Whoop. We're going to be talking about Rodrigo Ligio going up against Matouche Rebecki. 
in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 230 for Rebecca and plus 195 for the Brazilian Rodrigo Ligio. Uh, this one, interesting fight because it's pretty much a striker versus grappler matchup. We got Ligio as the lanky striker here who likes to do a lot of his work from the outside kickboxing range, but he has a lot of knockout power and finishing ability. He has a 12 and 2 record. He's 33 years old. So it's not often that we see guys, you know, in closer to their mid 30s coming to the contender series. So he's going to have to have a very impressive performance here. Otherwise, I could see Dana just passing on him because he believes he might be a little bit too old to get into the UFC at this point. But um, he only has two losses on his record. His first one was his first ever MMA fight <clears throat> where he. Uh, you know, very weird fight, back and forth fight, but then he found himself in this uh, like position where the guy threw up a triangle choke, and it was a very loose triangle choke. But uh, Legio just stayed in there, like he just like he's like, okay, I'm comfortable in here. But then eventually Bruno Silva was able to get it tighter. That caused Legio to scramble. In that scramble, Bruno Oliveira gets his back and eventually chokes him out there. So very lackadaisical approach from Legio, which I think he learned from because he followed that up with an eight fight winning streak. Most of those coming by finish until he ran into Herbert Bautista, who was able to knock him out halfway into the first round of their fight. Since then, he's been put together. He's been able to put together a four-fight winning streak, where you know a lot of guys, most notably our guy Jack Godzilla. Uh, his real name is Adelson Fernandez. I get why he wants to go by Jack Godzilla now, but Adelson Fernandez was the future champion at that time, and I mean by future, like future fighting championships, which is a promotion down there in Brazil. He was the lightweight champion at the time, and he managed to do a decent job of nullifying Lidio's uh, striking advantage by pushing him up against the cage, landing some takedowns, and just grinding him out. Unfortunately for Jack Godzilla, Rodrigo or Rodrigo Ligio unleashes a flying knee at the beginning of the fifth round and knocks him out and gets that lightweight title. Uh, he does have his next fight in LFA when LFA went down to Brazil and he did knock out Arthur Lima in the second round. But that was another fight where Lima, you know, a jiu-jitsu guy showed some solid work when he was able to get the takedown, but unfortunately succumbed to the power of Ligio on the feet. That's exactly what we got to worry about here with Matosh Rebecki as well. Because Rebecki, you know, big takedown guy he's like a fire hydrant of a man he's five foot seven you know not the biggest reach compared to the uh 511 so he's going to be at a four inch height disadvantage compared to legio but i do think that rebecca is strong enough that he can close the distance with his big power that he has in his hands drag this fight to the ground and then from there you know he's not a lame prayer he is a guy that goes out there and seeks to finish when he when he's on top of his opponents, whether it's just elbowing these guys into oblivion from that guard position or trying to pass, get to the crucifix, beat him up there. You know, he does have back-to-back -back wins for, uh, via elbow from crucifix position um, back in 2019 and 2020. So he does have big finishing power when he's able to get guys to the ground. I think he's going to be able to come through with that here against Legio. I do lean... Uh, like I said, I do lean the uh, Rebecca side here, but at minus 230, I'm a little bit skeptical because, uh, you know, if he can't secure the takedowns, if Legio keeps getting back to his feet, I think that Rebecca could be in some trouble, especially with getting picked apart from distance. If we're getting closer to maybe minus 150 for Rebecca, I'd take the shot, but I think the odds are a little bit too wide because I do think that Legio is live to a certain extent. With that said, I'm not willing to pull the trigger, right? You guys know me. I don't mind pulling the trigger on plus 200s, plus 180s, but I just don't feel the confidence on the Legio side that I need to 
part ways with my money on this underdog. So I am going to take Rebecca to win this fight. I do think he grounds it. I do th- think he gets a TKO. A potential spot that people could exploit is the um, the uh, what am I talking about? The the fight doesn't go to decision could possibly be a spot as well. We got a um, somewhat of a troller here saying LMFAO. It's Friday and the limits for contender series are horrendous. So why you touts and clowns are going to do those shows now? The public will destroy the lines for two hundred fifty dollar bets and going to kill the lines. Choke. I'm just trying to get the content out. People want predictions. People want breakdowns. I'm just trying to get the content out. I got a full weekend of plans. You know what I mean, I got shit to do this weekend. And there's no UFC this weekend, so why not just put out the predictions for you guys? Whether people smash those lines or not, it's fine. People can smash Alex Morgan all they want. I'm going to get a better line on uh, Mr. Builder myself. Why you hate Just come in and share your thoughts on Contender Series. Jeez Louise. Uh, Corey Ipo saying Legio uh, fights back and forth 155, 170. Rebecca fights 145, 155. Legio will be much bigger taking the Brazilian. Uh, I see that as well. But the thing here is, I think that Rebecca is like, he's got to be on some sort of juice. Let's be honest. He's got to be on some sort of juice. I think this guy is very strong that he'll be able to close that distance and get the fight to the ground. I don't hate anybody taking the underdog shot on Legio or Legio, but. Um, I'm going to stick with the Rebecca side, but I'm, it will more than likely be a no uh, no bet for me. Problem Kids saying violent spot. I agree with that as well. Lajon Dream saying love the early content. You know what it is. Asher Quinn in the chat. Lajon Dream saying no UFC this weekend, so why not exactly? Exactly. Tammy Gucci saying tell him. You already know. Problem Kids saying yeah, I don't know what control we're talking about exactly. <laughs> Asher Quinn saying, I'm sure one lock of the night stream on a Friday completely ruins the line. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> Tristan saying, crazy how people come in here to complain. Such weird people. Exactly. People just want to, they want to be grouches. <clears throat> and it's not like uh, my picks are always going to be right. So if I'm steaming it in the other direction, it could work out that way as well. Jacksonville's always saying, luck. there's always one or two negative people. It's crazy. It's right. Just enjoy the content. Shit. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next fight. Like I said, I like a Rebecca. Violence is what I would lean on more than anything, but I'll probably be passing on that fight as a whole. Next up, we're going to be talking about the co-main event here. And this one I'm very excited about. This one should be a fun fight. Probably the one that I'm looking forward to most here. We got Matej Peñez. Going up against uh, SD Dumas. Uh, it says on topology that his name is Cedric, um, spelt in a very French way, if I'm being honest. Uh, but he goes by SD Dumas, uh, going up against Matej Penas. I'm a hope I'm not um, completely butchering Penas's name here. But both guys, 6 0. Uh, topology has this fight taking place at 205 pounds, but both guys are career 185ers. So. Um, I, I did reach out to my guy Nolan King, who is like you know one of the one of the go-to guys when it comes to Dana White contender series stuff, and he said he's trying to look into it. I haven't seen anything as of yet in terms of his reply. Um, he's saying he thinks it's a t- topology typo, but he's going to check on it. So we will see. Uh, 
So uh, this is a fight between two lanky guys at 185 pounds. Uh, we'll start off on the SD Dumas side. Uh, training out of Alabama. Initially, he was with 10th Planet Mobile. Uh, now he's training out of Port City Combat Sports. The biggest name to come out of that gym is Brock Weaver. So uh, I don't know what kind of company he's keeping, but it is what it is. Uh, he is on a uh, six-fight winning streak, at least as a pro. Uh, seven fights if you want to take his amateur uh, fights into into consideration here but he seems like a, a lanky guy with some decent striking some good leg kicks he was actually able to end one of his fights via leg kicks uh, he actually has a liver kick finish on his record as well um, but he likes to really beat up that lead leg of his opponents and uh, pretty much just you know get, get them out of there uh, just off of that alone I believe it was a Lance Thompson fight where he just butchered this guy's lead leg and you can see it like pretty much almost turned purple so a uh, great performance from him there. Seems like he can do his best work when he's able to get fights to the mat, though, like he has shown in earlier fights. Um, you know, training out of the 10th Planet Mobile gym and, and that being one of the first gyms that he was at, you got to believe he has a bit of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. That's probably where he will fare best in this matchup, is if he's going to be able to get the fight to the ground. To my eyes, though, it doesn't seem like... Um, he has the greatest takedowns, right? That That is still like up to question in my opinion i am not sold that he's a great wrestler uh at least not against legitimate competition at least as of yet um you know the the aaron highball fight he was able to control that fight for the most part um with his striking with his grappling but i'm still not sold that highball is a solid prospect as well you know that guy was nine and five going into that fight um I think for Dumas to have a success in this fight, he's going to need to drag it to the mat. He's going to need to try to wrap up Matej. But all of Matej's opponents have tried to do the same thing. A lot of them have tried to drag him to the ground and try to you know, cause some ruckus there and try to wrap him up with some submission or try to get some ground and pound off. But very, you know, it's very rare you see anybody have much success in terms of getting him to the mat. You know, a lot of guys are pretty much just... They're... they're, they're rendered to just push this guy up against the cage and try to have success there because they just struggle so much with trying to get this guy to the ground. Uh, he, he's a very tall fighter. I just I don't have the metrics in front of me here, but he's a very lengthy fighter that's very difficult to deal with for a lot of guys, and that's where he's able to implement his striking dominance most, right? He does a very good job in terms of establishing his range, using his one-twos down the middle. Uh, his kicks are very lethal as well, but he has a lot of big knockout power, as we've seen throughout his career. Uh, he has a kickboxing background, and he uses it very, like I said, very effectively by keeping guys at range and just busting them up from there. Uh, his biggest win has got to be against Chick Cohn. Uh, you know, if a lot of people have been around the MMA game for a while, you've seen Chick Cohn's name around the the, the interwebs. Uh, but he was an 18 and 10 going into that fight, 38 years old. So not a good look. Chick did have some success in terms of pushing him up against the cage. And controlling him, but for the most part, he was stifled by the takedown defense. And then anytime these guys were back at range, uh Matej was able to just piece him up and really touch him up from distance there and get him out of there in that third round. Uh, he did follow that up with a decision victory over another guy that was a little bit too far into his MMA career. You know, I believe that guy was 37 or 38 years old as well. I'm talking about Yanni Malilo. Well, he's 37 now. Um so don't want to take too much from that. But just based off of raw talent alone, it seems like Matej has the 
the better striking here. And I feel like his takedown defense is good enough, especially considering he's training over there at the All-Stars gym uh, in Sweden. It seems that's where he's been spending most of his time recently. And, uh, you know, training with the, the Gustafsson and, and the Hamzats and all that, you got to believe that his takedown defense is going to look very good. So um, I do like Matez here. Um, I'm even considering taking a... Uh, you know, a, a shot on him on his money line here. I, I see him around roughly around minus 170. I have seen some SD love on the Twitter timeline. So that line on uh, uh, Matej might start to come down. So I might take a shot on Matej, uh, you know, maybe if he reaches minus 150. But to be honest, I'd probably even play minus 170 on him. You know, 1.7 units to win one unit, something like that. Uh, again, I don't want to get too crazy with these uh, contender series fights in terms of laying big money on them. But uh, I, I do like the... Uh, the Matej side here, I think he eventually finds that knockout over Dumas. I, I just think the striking discrepancy is so wide, and I think that Painas' uh, takedown defense will come into play here, and Dumas is going to be forced to strike. And even if he tries to lay on his his leg kicks here, I think he's going to get countered pretty much every single time he tries to throw a strike here, and I think that's going to demoralize him from throwing more strikes or even get to the point where he ends up on his ass and Matej is able to pound him out via ground and pound as well. So I'm going to go Matej, Matej by KO. This is a, another possible violent spot. You know, there are no props out for it yet, but if you do want to take a shot, um, that might be the way to go about it. So give me Matej, Matej KO violence as well. Problem Kid saying uh, Peñez is uh, one of Yuri's main training partners. I've seen that as well. Uh, All right. There you guys go. All right, let's get to the main event. We are rifling through these only a half hour into this, and we're on the fifth fight. This is the speed that I like to go at for the contender series. All right, main event here. This one should be a fun one. Very excited about this one. We got Yusu. Yusaku Kinoshita going up against Jose Enrique. In terms of odds, we got minus 200 on the Japanese fighter and plus 170 the return on Enrique. Now, Enrique is the guy that I've been talking about or at least tweeted about a couple of days ago saying that we have a six foot five fighter attempting to make 170 pounds for the first time in his professional MMA career. At least that's what it seems like. Um, you know, going through his topology, all of his wins have been at 185 pounds. I can't tell where the first two were at because it doesn't have anything for it. But he is a 19-year-old kid. You know, he's 19, 20 years old, so he's really young, hasn't really grown into his body as of yet. And that seems to be, uh, you know, the reason he can make these lighter weight classes. But I'm sure, you know, once he goes into it, maybe three, four, five years down the road, We'll see him at 185 pounds, maybe even at 205 pounds. Um, but yeah, I think I think that this is going to be a no-no for him to go down to 170 pounds in the spot. Uh, he's a solid striker, lanky striker. He trains out of uh, Novo Uniao. Obviously, you see Andre Pedaneris in his corner more often than not. Uh, the kid has some solid skills from the outside. Uh, seems like a lot of times guys want to get this guy to the ground and try to, you know, nullify that grappling advantage he normally has over his opponents um you know Enrique seems to be durable his striking defense because you could use a little bit of uh polishing as well but everything that i've seen from kinoshita side seems to seem to seems to show that he has an ironclad 
chin as well. But I think that uh, this Kinoshita guy is a little bit too complete for him at this time, which is why he's minus 200. You know, Kinoshita, the first fight I saw of this guy, he showcased pretty much every skill that you could possibly showcase in mixed martial arts within one minute. Like he rocked his opponent, got the takedown, got some solid transitions on the mat, eventually got the guy's back and choked his ass out. Like very, very fluid. It seems like this guy's been doing it for a long time. I'm very impressed with what I saw from him there. He's going to be completely outsized in this matchup, right? But I think that's going to help him in terms of being able to get this fight to the ground where I think he's going to have a tremendous uh, grappling advantage. You know, I like everything I see from the Kinoshita side. His, Like I said, his striking defense as well could use a little bit more uh, polishing, but I don't think that he's going to get clipped heavy enough here from Enrique to truly go out. Um, it, it is a concern that Enrique could bink him from the outside. So that's something that we have to worry about here, which is why I'm not the most enthused in terms of paying minus 200 for Kinoshita here. But it seems like he's going to be the spot here, man. He, he seems to be the much better fluid and... and you know, better fighter overall. Uh, I think Enrique is going to struggle once this fight hits the mat, and I think eventually we'll see Kinoshita get his back and potentially choke him out. This could be another violent spot that we could circle, right? Jose Enrique, a lot of people are going to see that six foot five and say, okay, you know, this is an anomaly at this weight class. Let's give him a shot, uh, you know, take that plus 170 shot and hope that he gets that big shot or lands that big shot against Kinoshita and puts him down. But like I said, everything I've seen from Yusaku um, showcases that he's durable, showcases that he can get opponents to the ground, and showcases that he can dominate them as well. I just want to quickly touch upon that one loss that Yusaku has on his record. It says grabbing the cage. Not only did he grab the cage there, because you could just take a point away and just continue the fight, right? No. He grabbed the cage. Like, he already had this guy hurt, but he grabbed the cage and he started foot stomping this guy and completely knocked him out clean. Because one of the more brutal knockouts I've ever seen. If you guys are able to pull that fight up and watch that, I would highly suggest it. Because if you guys like brutality or if you guys like the, the pride days, you guys would definitely like uh, what you saw in that fight. But he already had that kid dead to rights. It was just his uh, his wrongdoing in terms of grabbing the cage while he foot stomped him. And again, this was for Risen. So foot stomps were allowed back then, or not back then, but at least in Risen at that point. So I like Kinoshita, better overall fighter. If he can close that distance without getting hit with a bomb of any sort, he should be able to grind on Enrique and eventually find this finish when he gets this fight on the ground. All right, let's see what the live chat is saying here. And then we're going to get back on out of here. Seems like everybody's talking about pride right now between Gomi and Nick Diaz. I completely understand that. Koripo saying they are both so young. I agree. I do like the Kinoshita side, though, as he has shown more skill sets, in my opinion. Problem Kids saying Kinoshita is a badass savage. I agree. We got buggy choke discussions going on in the chat right now. <laughs> um, probably saying uh, Kinoshita is a monster. Also said he straight up stomped dudes heads to pieces. Yeah, that was crazy. Wade's venture in the chat. Appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Even though that we are on the back end of the stream here. Corey Ipo saying, nobody good in UFC is out of Japan. We can't just disregard this guy because he's Japanese. <laughs> Looks good on tape. 
he could translate to the UFC. Problem Kid saying huge violence play here too. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what the uh, the odds are going to be on the violence spot here. Alajuan Dream apologizing for being off topic. Not at all. Do not apologize. Enjoy the chat. Enjoy talking amongst yourselves about any topic. I never take offense to that at all. I just want to see if there's any, um, you know, any comments that I need to highlight that are in, um, in line with what I'm currently talking about. Problem Kid saying he's an anomaly low. He is well-rounded as fuck too. I agree with that. All right. So quick picks again. And again, if you guys want to hear the full breakdowns, just rewind. And you, I went through every single fight on this card. Quick picks. We're going to go Builder, and he'll likely be a bet for me once he starts opening up on more books. Uh, I'm going to go Silva, no bet. Rebecca, no bet. Uh, Peñas, I'll likely pay the chalk there on Peñas. Uh, but again, I want to see where that line goes. I've seen some love for Dumas. I might be able to get Matej around minus... Uh, 150, so I'll probably hold out for that. Uh, but I'm going to take Matej to win by knockout, and then Kinoshita is going to be my pick in the main event. But violence would not be a bad spot there either. Oh, problem kids saying Kinoshita attacks subs on the ground aggressively, too. I like that as well. All right. Appreciate everybody stopping by for the quick stream here to talk about Contender Series Week 6. Even that one negative Nancy that we had earlier in the chat saying, why are you talking about Contender Series so early? Yes, because I'm moving lines out here. That's what I do. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't move lines. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, look for the best for my, uh, for my followers and my subscribers, and that is by giving them predictions as early as I can. Appreciate you guys. Uh, this will be the last stream until Monday. Monday we'll be back, and that is obviously UFC Paris Fight Week as well. Um, yeah, so hopefully you guys can survive without me for the next couple of days. But we'll be back at it for MMA Lock Talk on Monday. And I'll probably be doing my Lock Cast on Monday as well to talk about UFC Paris, considering I will likely be done all of my research by then. All right, love you guys. Appreciate you guys. Let's try to make some money on the Contender Series, right? Peace.